Well, if you will, turn with me to Genesis 3. That's where we'll be reading from this morning in God's Word. I'm really excited as we're in our second week of this series, The Whole Story. Um, be honest, this, this series has been like four years in the making. It's this kind of thing we've wanted to do, and it's not been the right timing. But I, I really think that when we look at the Bible, I hope you can make it through most of the weeks here with us as we go through the whole story, because I believe that what ma- many of us are missing, and I know I was for a long time in my life, was this, this bigger narrative of Scripture, of, of what's this larger thread of what God's doing, so I can make sense where Ezekiel fits in it, and Psalms fits in it, Revelation fits in it, and Genesis, and Exodus, and, and all the in-between. Where, where do all the books? fit in. And so what we're trying to do as we go through this series is put the edges of this greater puzzle of the story of God that the rest of the scripture, and so we can't in the weeks that we're going at this, um, we will not be able to teach the whole council, but we're going to be able to give a pretty wide view of it, we hope. So as we, as we look at this text this morning and as we move into this, I can't help but mention a few things as we begin. Um, what an odd week it has been in our community. Um, what an odd week it's been in our nation, or what an odd season that we find ourselves in. Um, say it from a couple ways. One, uh, one the, the great evangelist, Billy Graham, passed away this week, 99 years old. Um, what an incredible life. And like, see, I mean, I don't know, just curious. How many of you were your lives impacted by the ministry of Billy Graham? Yeah. Incredible what God anointed such a man to do um, in his time and in his life. Uh, I have to think that these two things of the tragedies that we've faced with lockdowns and shootings and, uh, yeah, lockdown shootings, suicides, um, there's there's a connection. And... uh, I can just kind of speak frankly on the subjects. Um, we, we have a great need in our world that, that the evangelist Billy Graham was committed to. Now, Billy Graham, obviously in his stances, um, took heat all the time over this or that. But I do know this about Billy Graham, is he, wherever he was, was unashamed to preach a gospel that said this, that only through the blood of Jesus can you be saved. And I, and I say it like not by a prayer, not by, any, by, by the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross are we saved. Now, we live in an interesting day because we think, us in this room, that we are a majority We think that those old stadiums that Billy Graham used to pack are getting packed. They're not. There is a great need in our world for the gospel to be proclaimed. And I'll I'll speak on behalf of Billy Graham today if it helps, because I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He preached a gospel in those stadiums filled hoping that those in those stadiums would go out and proclaim the same gospel in the day-to-day of their life. We have a work to do in Stark County that feels a little bit overwhelming right now. It feels a little daunting, doesn't it? But it is a work to be done. 
I guess I don't want to sit in my house and cry because I could. I got, a, I got a call from North Canton Schools. I saw 5600 pop up on my phone. My heart got heavy. And then it was, there's no threat. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I've, I feel it. I send my kids to school every day. But what I, I believe the solution to these greater issues our world faced, and we'll see it in the text today, is the Lord Jesus himself taking over families, individuals, students, children. And I believe that Jesus truly is the one who can redeem, who he can save, and he can change a culture, and he can change a society. And if we, if we just rest, believing that we are the majority, we'll just see more of the same. Christianity will continue to decline and we'll end up the way of Europe sooner than later. But I believe that God has given this church a vision. And I think it's a vision found right in the book of Acts. It's what Tim Talley is going to Thailand to do. And right in the book of Acts, what we see happen is people go out and they proclaim the gospel. Guess what happens when the gospel is proclaimed? People get saved. By the blood of Jesus Christ, they are saved. They give their life over to Jesus and then they become disciples. And they begin to learn what it means to live this thing out in the day-to-day. And as they begin to learn this out, Paul comes back through and says, hey, some of you have really grown up. You should be elders in a church right here in Ephesus, right here in Colossia, right here in Galatia, right here in all these places. You You should build this thing. And in your community, you're responsible for this great evangelical work. But hey, here's the deal. Don't let it stop with you. You need to plant more churches. This needs to go on more and more and more and increasingly. And what we see in the known world in Paul's time We see the gospel spread. We see churches planted. Literally, the gospel goes to the entire known world in the span of the Apostle Paul's lifetime. The power of discipleship, the power of God using me, using you, it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable, it says in Ephesians, that this work that he wants to do is far beyond what we could ever dream, think, or imagine. So what does that look like for us? Well, one, I think it looks like all of us saying, I want to be a part. I want to be a part of a solution. And what that solution is, I believe, best I can tell, it's not in social programs, although you should get engaged in those if you can. Those are a part of it. But, but I believe right here what it looks like for each of us is to become serious about developing real relationships. I remember a kid I walked by every day in college, sat right over Aaron. And I remember getting the phone call that Aaron had committed suicide. And I remember thinking, I walked by him over and over and over, and I didn't say a word. Church, we have to stop walking by people. Ryan Johnston included. I need to see people. I need to invite them to lunch. I need to know them. Do you want to be known? I do. Do you want to be encouraged? I do. You want to be cared for? Right? It starts with us. The gospel calls us to this kind of living. And I believe what it's going to take is, best I can tell, is about 37 new churches started in in, in Stark County because churches are dying. The gospel's presence is, is moving outward because we have not taken our place. If anybody's with me, say amen or something. I don't know. 
And so how that happens is by serving, getting involved with our student ministry, our children's ministry, getting involved in your community. What, what it means is giving. Like we can't move forward with this without funds. That's what it takes. Tim can't go to Thailand with, with, without the church behind him, right? This is not just a now thing. It's a biblical thing. I mean, this is how the gospel worked. Paul said, give to this greater work. Give to this movement. As we give, as we serve, as we engage, I believe that God changes things. And I don't think it's a quick fix. But I think it's quicker than we think if we all engage. So in that, I want us to read this text this morning. And as we do, I believe that God has a lot for us to say in regards to the current events of our week, but also into the greater breadth of our life. So if you will, this morning, stand with me as we read Genesis 3, 1, well, the entire chapter. All right, here we go. Buckle up, you're going to stand a while. All right. The fall. Now this is the story. Creation has happened. Everything is created. God, God breathed it into motion. From every living thing to us, the very good part of his creation, distinctly different, unique, one of a kind, that can have a relationship with him. So now we see where everything turns and the brokenness comes. And so if you're looking for an question of why is everything so broken in our world? Well, we're about to read the text where it all started. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God God actually say, you shall eat in the garden? You, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "'Where are you?' And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I always find it interesting. God knows all things, but he tries to pull it out of us. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's why we hate snakes, right? I hate them so much. Uh, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pains and childbearing. All the women who's had babies say amen. 
In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not, commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because you. In the pain you shall, in, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, if you have a lisp, that's a tough one. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, would you give us insight into this text today? Would you help us to understand, understand this maybe most tragic text in all of scripture that is the results of brokenness that surrounds us? Lord, would you expand our view of you? Would you expand our view of you not to be so small, but to be much larger because we've read this text today? Anoint me, use me, Jesus, I ask in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So what we see happening in this text, and just a little bit, so Genesis 1 and 2, we see the foundations of all things created. And in these foundations, we see that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He makes light and separates it from darkness. He he divides the, the oceans and the sky. He gathered water so dry land would appear. He grew plants, flowers, trees, and all seeds so they could produce. He created sun, moon, and stars, and set the days into season into motion. Then he created us. Last week we saw that, that, that we are created, that we are image bearers, that we are commissioned by him to be fruitful and multiply, subdue, fill the earth, that we are unique, that we are different than other creation, that we are unique objects of God's affection, created to have a relationship with God on high. And in Genesis 2, we see this kind of maybe more out of, outside of day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, but we see day 6 zoomed in on. And in this day 6, and this is what they call a toledote in, Greek, in, in Hebrew writing, and this kind of second section of this is a zoom in at creation and man and woman. And in the garden, God created man and woman to walk intimately with him, to fellowship with him, to 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 care for the land, to care for the world, and to do it without pain, without suffering, but at peace with him. And in this, he creates two trees. One, he creates that if you eat from it, you will live on and on and on. And one, if you eat from it, right, that you disobey God. And there's a repercussion for this. Relationship is broken. And I, I believe, and we're going to get into this in a minute, like, come on, God, why'd you have to create that tree, right? We want to blame God for this. So what is this bigger thing? What is it that God's doing? Well, we read the text, right, where this all falls apart. 
So if you will, if you're following with me on the back of your bulletin, you, you can. And the first thing that we see is that God's boundaries are for our good. God's boundaries are for our good. See in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So why? Why this, why this tree? Why, why create things in this way that everything's just going to unravel and fall apart? It was one, is I believe that one of the greatest ways that we, we, we engage in relationships, one of the ways that we actually have authenticity of relationship is in yieldedness. And God creates a, t- a tree in the garden so, so we would yield to him and be obedient to his word. Give recognition to the word of God, meaning that he was weighty, that he was higher than this, that he, he was above us, that he was worthy of being worshipped, that he was worthy of obeying, that he was worthy of bowing down to, that he didn't create us on an equal plane with him, but even in putting that tree was that he was on a higher plane, which is the battleground we fight all the time. As we so want God to be here and we want to somehow reach equality with God which we're going to find, is the sin of sins. It is the error of errors. And it will be the tragedy of tragedies for all of us if we don't see ourselves much lower than him. So he wants us to give recognition to his will, to give thanks to him, to call upon him and ask him for aid against temptation. When this of yielding, of recognizing, of submitting, of falling before him. And see, I believe a small view of God says, why did you do this? A small view of God, it sets us up for a God that our our mind can fathom and a God our mind can understand. And simply this, our God is not a God that you can fathom. I can't. He's not a God that I can fully understand. There is a mystery in him that will be explored for all time and eternity because his depths we will never reach the end of. A big vision of God says that, we are, that, that he is holy and he sets a standard and created a world in which I can't comprehend. And I bow humbly beneath his authority and I approach his grandeur on my own, not because he has broken my knees to do it. So in keeping his commands comes our peace. His boundaries are for our good. God does not wish to harm us, but to protect us, that we might yield ourselves to the one who is beyond ourselves. See, God's boundaries are for our good. Do you believe that today? Do we believe that his boundaries in the day to day of my life are for my good? Or do I test the boundaries? Do I push the boundaries? Do I, do I live within these commands and ways in which he has called me? Or do I live how I want to, hoping that I can do just enough to somehow make him happy with me? but do just enough where I actually live a happy life. Are you with me here at all? Because is God's ways really good? 
I don't know. One woman for the rest of my life. I don't know. Maybe. This way is really good to protect my eyes. Don't look on things that are unholy. Ugh. Man, there's a momentary joy in some of that stuff I love. I mean, I love, I love revenge. Feels so good when somebody gets it that ticked me off. Come on, church, are you with me? Feels good for a minute. Isn't that funny how, how God's boundaries are really good? And we, we come to a place where we're like, no, they're not really good. And then we test the waters on that, and then we just feel guilty. It's like, why did I test the boundaries on that? Because your ways were good. And I pushed against them, and it felt good for a minute. Then my heart sunk. Or maybe, maybe you've been testing them so long that it doesn't even really feel that bad anymore. But see, I believe with this text in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, one of the clear, clear, clear things is God's boundaries are for our good and when we live as this, as an axiom, as a truth, as this overarching principle of life, it changes how we see the world, and it changes how we see God. It's that God isn't out to get me. He's not out to harm me, but he is putting boundaries around my life for his good. Can anybody say, have you ever felt the pain of going against God? I mean, raise your hand. Anybody in the church? Liars that didn't raise your hand, right? <laughs> and if you haven't felt it yet, you're going to right? I mean, the, the pain of going against God's boundaries, not just of the experience, but of the soul. Second thing that we see in the text is that Satan is a real enemy. And this, this is like of, of utmost importance that we hear this, especially where we are today. Satan is a real enemy. He is alive and he is well he will have his destruction in the end. Praise God, we have the whole story. But he is crafty and he is sneaky and he is out to destroy anything that puts attention toward God. But, so it works like this. So it says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. See, he had rebelled against God. And we have some insight into this from Job and Isaiah kind of have to piece. The first story of scripture isn't actually in the beginning God created. The first story is that Satan and angels were alive and well with God in heaven. And there was a rebellion that happened. And that rebellion, he was, because of this, he was cast out. And his desire was, God is here, I am here, and I would like to be like God. And those are the exact words. He desired to be like God. And in that rebellion, he was cast away along with a host of other angels. And in this began to, and cast into this world, and in this began to reap in what we see the beginning of his work and destruction, which we'll see through the whole thread of scripture, that he is adamantly at work in our stories and in our time. So, Lord God had made... He said to the woman, did God actually say, right? So he's crafty in this moment. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what we see is he speaks and he twists and he questions God. This is his primary function. Did God really? Matthew 4, he, he has an interaction with Jesus. And what he does is he takes God's word and he's talking with Jesus and he just, he twists it a little bit. 
Is it really that? I mean, I mean, is that, is that the full thing? I mean, does God really want you to do that? And he's going to twist it and change it just a little bit, but he's still going to use it. And so he speaks against God's word. He twists it. He questions God, which is consistent with his character. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So he's going to repeat, he's going to respond to this, and we're going to read it here. He says, this isn't true, you won't die, it will be okay, no big deal. So he says, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, what he said was actually true, wasn't it? What he said was true, sort of. And this is where the evil one gets us. It's true, sort of. Because they didn't take a bite of the apple and fall over dead, did they? Or it's not an apple, it's a fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. So anyway, all of your children's storybooks are completely false. And, uh, uh, and so, so they, don't, they didn't die immediately. But it did cause something to cascade that would in the end be their death and outside of the intended way of God. He didn't create us. He put a tree in there that we wouldn't experience death. See, the, what we see about, about Satan in this is he questions God and plants seeds of doubt, says God is withholding, God isn't good enough, there is a glory that can be yours, there is a joy that can be yours, there is a life that can be yours apart from God. Go after it. And this is his voice. And this is his message. His voice is speaking really well, even today, isn't it? Go after it without God. He's not really that good. Doesn't really want good for you. His ways aren't perfect. They're not pure. They're not right. There's a better path without him. If you engage in that, surely it won't be that bad for you. Surely your life will be better. Surely you'll be more insightful. Surely you'll be more prosperous. Satan is most concerned about receiving glory, turning people from God. So so in this, don't think he is just a dude with a red pitchfork on your shoulder. Thank you, Bugs Bunny, for that, right? Like that's not who he is, although he acts as that sometimes in our life, whispering these things into our heart and to our lives. So in saying that, He's not necessarily, like, you're, I'm going to tread on, like, you're going to hear this, and you're going to go, I think Ryan went crazy. It's not that he's necessarily always inherently the worst evil that you could think of. He just doesn't want you to worship God. See, Satan ruling and reigning in Northeast Ohio doesn't mean that the economy's crashed and everybody's just anarchy everywhere. That's not, that's not necessarily the picture. The picture is just nobody worships Jesus. And nobody loves God. Because that's what he wants. And sometimes he'll get there by good things. Twisting things just a little bit around. And we have this picture that, oh, total anarchy is really when you see Satan. I'd say if someone's not worshiping God, I think you just see it right in the midst of that. And sometimes he's actually a little more deceptive than we'd think. And sometimes he uses really good things to just turn us a little bit so we don't exalt 
and hold the one in the highest regard that we ought. We just twist a little bit and divert from it. So we see in the text, God's boundaries are for our good. Satan is a real enemy. And we also see that that sin has real consequences. Sin has real consequences. So in humanity, right? So for all of us that will ever be, and then personally for each of us in this room, we see consequences in this. We see shame. They hid themselves. We see fear. He says, I was afraid, so I hid myself. Then we see guilt. The serpent deceived me. I'd, I'd like to challenge you with this, that shame, fear, and guilt are actually really good things. And the reason shame, fear, and guilt are really good things is because if you have them, you know that you have went away from what God desired for you. And I'd also appeal to you that repentance is a really good thing because in my shame, fear, and guilt, it turns me back to the one I want, that I desire, when I repent of my sins and turn back because of my shame, fear, and guilt. Shame, fear, and guilt are, 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 are these gifts that God has given us that we can recognize that we have sinned against a holy God. Now, we live in a culture, what do we want to do with shame, fear, and guilt? Don't feel it, man. Don't feel it. If you feel ashamed, stop feeling that way. If you feel guilty, no way. You shouldn't feel guilty for that. That guy did this to you. This person did that to you. You are a victim of circumstances. Your guilt is not your own. Shove it off on somebody else. Your fear is not your own. Your shame is not your own. Push it away. And I will say that there are real victims and there are, there are real moments where, where things are imposed upon us. But our sin is our own. Our rebellion against God is our own. No one can make me rebel against God. It's a choice I make in my own life. It's a choice you make in your own life. Every day of my life, I can choose to love my wife or to talk ugly to my wife. Every day of my life, I can choose to to beat up others, cast little seeds around the office saying how nobody should like Dave Short. All of a sudden, nobody likes Dave Short. What's up with that? Love you, Dave. We don't, love, we, don't, we don't hate you. I don't do that much. And so, right, like, like, I can do that, right? And what do I do? What am I doing? I'm going my own way. I own that. And I can choose whether or not I want to do it. I got to own it. My shame, my fear, my guilt. And if I did that, I should be ashamed. And I should be afraid. And I should be guilty. Because Dave Short doesn't deserve that. Because simply he was made in the image of God, stamped with a DNA that deserves dignity and respect no matter what. So there's other consequences globally. So we see this. Women will have pain in childbirth, right? It's, it's a, it is a, I've, we've, we've had four children in our house and I can verify that it is painful. I've seen it, right? And all the women said, shut up. Men will labor and toil in the brokenness of our world. It says in that thorns and thistles. I used to get paid a quarter a thistle by my grandfather to take a spade out into a field, shovel, if you don't know what a spade is, and I would have to dig them up because it was the only way he said that you could really kill them. Have you ever seen a thistle patch? 
that's a lot of long work and a quarter a day and all of that didn't work out to be in that much money uh, because I didn't stay on task that long. I think that was part of the reason. But thorns and thistles, and it, it's really more of, metaf- it, it's true, it's real. It actually, there is thorns and thistles now all over our world that will poke you and prod you. But it's also just a way to say our world is broken at every level. And there is something that has cascaded from this that God did not intend, but we chose and we rebelled. And because of it, this is the result. So it says also that we will relationally fight between the sexes for control. Everybody's like, what? That never happens. There's no issues between men and women, right? It's been historically true. There's this tension between the sexes. There's this tension between men and women. We see it right here in this text. It says that this is going to be one of the results. We will relationally fight with one another. And then the last result is we will die. There will be pain. There will be struggle. There will be brokenness. There will be suicides. There will be lockdowns. Downs, there will be violence. There will be pain and suffering in our world. It is historically true, and we see it in our society today. So, so in this, there's, there's this bigger thing that God is asking us to do. Wait, sin has real consequences. He's asking us to bear responsibility in owning what is ours to own. Meaning seeing the world rightly, meaning seeing, seeing the world through the lens of the fall and the brokenness of our world. This week, I watched a funeral service online. There's a couple, their name's Kyle and Emily Stewart. They were in our first missional community we ever launched in Memphis, Tennessee. They were high school seniors. They went through our college ministry. Um, nine years, Deb and I invested in Kyle and Emily in all kinds of ways from 18-year-old sin and struggle to, you know, they actually FaceTimed us when they were having their first baby, like as she was in labor, right? This couple we're really close to. This week they found out at 39 weeks, their baby didn't have a heartbeat. And they did a funeral service. And they live stream a lot of their services and they knew that we, other people were going to be there like us, and so we watched online. And I saw a guy, dad, young dad, stand up, who was deeply broken, deeply broken. And a, one of his best friends, who was in our college ministry, stood up right behind him, had his hand on him, and was praying for him as he spoke to this large congregation of people in this death. And I don't really know a tragedy that... 39 weeks, like there's a, and some of you have experienced it. I mean, there's a pain that you can't quite express. But Kyle had this like really good theology that led his heart to a really good place of brokenness, yet of hopefulness. And in that moment, as he stood up there, see, I, I believe that he understood what happened in Genesis 3. And he understood that as a result of the fall, that Brokenness is coming at all of us. You can't escape it. 
It's part of the result of this world. Some of you might get tired of hearing it, but it's a part of my story. You bury brothers at 45. I did. But see, I don't, I don't shake my fist at God, and Kyle didn't either. He stood up there and he goes, I get it. I get that, like, our rebellion did this. And see, where what we do, and what we do over and over is we, we don't bear responsibility. We don't see this world rightly, and in that, we get God confused. And we make God the culprit. He's not the culprit. God is to be worshipped and adored because he has brought provision, which is our very last point. God's grace is abundant. As a result of our rebellion, as a result of our sin, there's a provision of a Savior promised. He says it like this. Because you have done this, cursed are you, he says to the, this is verse 14. Cursed are you above all livestock, above the beasts of the field. This is to Satan. On your belly you shall go. The dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But here, the proto-evangelon, right here, this is this text. It's the first evangelistic message in Scripture. And it says, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And it says before this, it says, in between your offspring and the offspring, he shall. And that word offspring is seed. And all the way through this whole story, what we're going to see is there's a seed that was promised. Next, next time we start, next time we're going to be in descendants. And through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we're going to see this lineage begin. And it begins right here. And in this lineage, there's a Savior who is coming. A Savior who is coming who is going to take away the sins of the world. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Jesus is tarrying and coming back because he doesn't wish any, per- any to perish, but all to come to repentance, for all to come to eternal life. There's a provision of a Savior promised in Scripture. There's also a grace in this that they were removed from the garden and no longer able to live in their sins forever. Even by God's grace, he took them out of the garden so they they would no longer have to carry this weight of sin for all time and eternity. And also we see his grace being abundant and he provides man a covering by the shedding of blood. And in this text, we see the first shedding of blood in scripture. That is an animal was slain to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. And what you'll see through the rest of the story of scripture is bloodshed bloodshed, bloodshed, until Jesus. Because there will be one whose blood is shed that completes all bloodshedding. The perfect one will come, and this promise is fulfilled in the Gospels. Jesus walked on this earth. He died for our sins. He defeated the grave. He is seated on high. And through repentance and faith, we can have a relationship with him. And in relationship with him, we can have peace in our world. And God can begin to restore us back to his intended ways, into his peace, into his good, and for his glory. Or we can live in our sin, we can live in rebellion, and we can run from him and his ways 
and his purposes. So what I would say to us this morning, this text, I believe, teaches us that God's boundaries are for our good, that Satan is a real enemy, sin has real consequences for Adam and Eve and for us. Yet God's grace is abundant. His provision is real. His hope is something tangible that we can reach out and grab today. His peace is something that we can carry with him into this world. This work that he has called us to is not something that he's asked you to stand on the sidelines of, but to be in the meat of it with him for his greater purposes. So this morning, are you resisting the boundaries of God? Are you recognizing and rejecting the enemy in the day-to-day of your life? Are you bearing the weight of your own sin or pointing blame at everyone else and how they have caused you to sin? By the way, this is the rampant issue we face. Everybody caused me to do this. It's not my fault. We could talk about that in a hundred different angles in our culture. It's everybody's fault but mine. The only reason Ryan Johnston is slightly overweight, and some of you may not say slightly, it's not because a bunch of y'all like to eat lunch. It's because I like to eat hot wings. <laughs> right? Like, I could have ate the salad. I didn't. But what I could say is, stinking Hendershot, gosh, man, why do you like greasy food? You're causing this on me. We do, it, we do that 150 different ways. We want to blame here and there. And if my pastor was a little bit better, we'd do this. This guy did this. If children did this, if students did this, if this guy in our city did this, if this person did this. And at the end of the day, I got to own my own life and I got to stand before God myself. And so in that, are you ready to stand before God today? In, the old, in Revelation, it says there's a book. And in that book is a bunch of names. What if I had that book right now in my hands? And, and I could tell you if your name was in it. Open it up. Somebody yells out, Ryan, is Gordy in it? Let me look. You're at the beginning. Sorry, it's alphabetized, got very systematic. <laughs> yeah, you're there, Gordy. John Thomas, toward the back. Yeah, you're there. It's real. There's a real book, and there's a real way to Jesus. And it's only through his blood that your name will be in that book. Is your name in that book? Are you confident of that? If you're not, today is a day where you can be confident, where you can come to Jesus, and you can say, I've rebelled against you. And today I'm owning my sin. And Jesus, I know that I can't be saved by any of my good works, but I can be saved by accepting what you did for me on the cross. Have you repented of your sins, surrendered your life to Jesus, and placed your full confidence and faith in him? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're doing something a little bit different today. Church, are you confident? 
Every eyes bowed, every heads closed, every, every, every heads bowed, every eyes closed. If today you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to be confident that your name is written, that book, you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something we never do. I want you to just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. I'm not going to ask you to walk down front. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to ask you in a show of confidence to him today to put your hand up just to extend of saying, I, I, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Just hands up all over the room. Those of you who have raised your hand, I just want you to pray this with me. Father, just quietly, you don't have to say anything out loud. Jesus, I'm done fighting. I'm done resisting. I own my sin today. And I've rebelled against you. And Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and bore my sin and shame. And Jesus, today I accept your forgiveness. I accept that it's only by your blood that my sins can be forgiven. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting my feet right. Help me to live for you in your ways and your purposes. If you've never prayed that before, your hand was up. You can put them down. I'll tell you this right now. Your name was written in that book. God has redeemed you. And he's going to set your feet on a path and a trajectory for his good purposes in a way you've never dreamt, thought, or imagined. And you're going to live in a peace in the midst of this brokenness of this world that is confusing and hard, yet wonderful and great. For the rest of us, I want to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we believe that you sent your son, Jesus And we believe that the work is finished, that he was bruised for our sins, that he was beaten for us, that he was crucified, Jesus, that you died for us. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't didn't stay in the grave, but you rose from the dead, you defeated it. And through you, Jesus, we can have hope and life today and the pain and the struggle as a result of our rebellion but one day Lord that your peace will be attained again so Lord for all of us help us to live to live in your grace to live in your mercy and to be faithful in the the brokenness of our world help us to find find all of our life in you Father, as we continue to worship today, help us to respond. Or maybe some of those that raise their hand, they'll, they'll come and kneel down here again and confess before you. Maybe others, Lord, want to come down and do it. But Lord, whatever you'd have us to do to respond to you today, Lord, we, we know that we live in a world that, that we can't not respond anymore. We can't wait another day. So help us, Lord, respond in obedience to whatever you're saying. So I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. These altars are open for you to respond.